Hey there, everyone. My name is Mike Hedman, and I am the Caring Ministries Coordinator. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church, and thanks so much for being here. During this season, it's more important than ever to connect with others. One thing we value here at LJCC is community. And whether today is your first time at LJCC or this has been your church for years, truly the best way to get connected is through our life groups. Life groups are where you can develop real and lasting friendships that go beyond the Sunday morning service. They are also the best way to be part of a smaller group of people who do life with you. If you have not already joined a life group, consider joining one this week. All of our groups are currently meeting digitally, so go to ljcc.org slash zoomgroups to find a life group that is a perfect fit for you. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you enjoy the rest of the service and have a great week. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, welcome to worship at La Jolla Community Church. Uh, we are a movement of life groups. We're a movement of small groups. Uh, we meet together uh, in worship uh, to serve, to learn, to grow, uh, to celebrate, because we're part of God's mission in the world. And you have a part in God's mission in the world. In fact, we've been asking that question every week. What is your part in the mission of God? And the only way to have clarity on your answer is to have a sense of your true identity. Who are you? Who are you? If somebody were to stop you on the street, call you up, uh, catch you on a live interview on TV and said, who are you? What would you say uh, beyond your name and some basic descriptions of where you are and your maybe age and stage of life? Who are you? What makes you, you? And so if you can answer that question, uh, you'll start to understand your part in the mission of God. And that's what we want to do today. We want to talk about our identity and what are those things that shape and form and even challenge our identity, to get in the way of us understanding and embracing our part in the mission of God, or that set us up uh, to fully connect with our part in the mission of God. So that's where we're going today. So join me in that, would you? Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a part in the mission of God. That's, that's a given. And if you don't know it, that's okay, because by not knowing it, you can only learn what it is. If you think you know it, we want to help you refine that. And if you are really sure of that, what your partner mission of God is. We want to absolutely uh, confirm that and encourage you in continuing in that. So how do we know uh, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus who's part of his mission? We've talked about this uh, in the last couple weeks. This is documented in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. If you're new to uh, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, applying the Bible, uh, the Bible is, is God's message to us. Uh, given over a very long period of time, divided into two parts, one called the Old Testament, one called the New. It's really one message from God over a long period of time. And by understanding His Word, we understand God's thoughts. We understand God's will. We begin a conversation with God that continues with one another, guided by God actually in our presence. That's why these life groups that Mike was talking about are so important. And so here we see in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and by the way, uh, the Bible was not divided into numbers uh, early on. Later, though, people said, you know, how can we easily reference parts of the Bible? And that's how the books of the Bible, uh, the 66 books of the Bible, were divided into chapters and verses. And so Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Matthew, one of the Gospels, a, the a description of the good news of what Jesus did. At the very end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, 
all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no higher reference to authority. There's no higher power. There's no one to whom you can appeal higher than the Lord himself. All authority is derived from him. Therefore, uh, we look at all authority in the context of his authority. And when we see authority not uh, aligning with his authority, we question that authority. When we see authority, human authority, aligned with God's authority, we, we support it. He says, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go and make disciples of all nations. Go make learners, apprentices, like you have been for the last three years. Go make people who understand what it means to be in this ongoing relationship. This walk is, some, uh, is how some people describe it. A walk with God. A conversation with God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a, both a symbolic and a substantive way of saying you have a new identity. You've died to you and you're a born again. You're alive as a new creation in Christ. So we're baptized. We're formally included in God's family. We're formally included and welcomed into God's kingdom. And then teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's the core access point to our identity in Christ. And to answering the question, who are you? And what is your purpose in the mission of God? What's your part in the mission of God? This is a great phrase. Uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So being a disciple and making disciples is our part in the mission of God. Somehow our identity as disciples and this activity, doing disciply kinds of things, defines and describes and develops our identity and then uh, allows us to fully participate in the mission of God. So let me ask you the question. Do you think of yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Uh, do you think of yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Or does that language uh, make you uncomfortable? Uh, it's a different way of describing yourself. Do you describe yourself? Do you think of yourself as a disciple of Jesus? I, I hope so. And if not, I want to ask you why. Why would you not want to describe yourself? Why would you not want to find your core identity in being a disciple of Jesus? Why wouldn't you want God to be your personal tutor, your coach, your mentor, your guide? Think about that. The one that has all authority in heaven and on earth has said, I want to lead you and guide you and teach you how to be in relationship with me, a right relationship with yourself, and a right relationship with people. Who wouldn't want that? And yet, somehow all of us have this uh, dis-ease, this discomfort with saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Uh, why? Well, it sounds like we're bragging or boasting. Well, you know, uh, you might not know this about me, but I am a disciple of Jesus. It feels like we'd be saying to somebody, you know, I'm, I've got it all together and you don't. But it's just the opposite of that. It's a humble confession of faith. It's saying, you know what, uh, but for God, I wouldn't have any idea who I am. Yes, I have a name, I have a family, I do things that you could identify as part of my identity, but really I still don't know who I am. Do you know that lots and lots of people walk through life feeling like they're posing? It's this pretender conflict, a, a, a pretender complex that psychologists have identified. Lots of people, very successful, very productive, have this sense that I'm just sort of faking it. 
I'm not really sure who I am, but I'll just keep doing this because people seem to be convinced. We want to move past that. We, we don't want to pretend to have a relationship with God. We want to say, you know what, I have no idea how to have a relationship with God, but for God revealing it to me, showing me what it means to be in relationship with him. He leads me, he guides me, he coaches me, he corrects me. Sometimes he rebukes me. He calls me back uh, from dark places and crazy thinking. He calls me back into my right mind, my right heart. He helps me see what I have in my hands that could honor and glorify him and bless people in his name. So this discipleship process is a transformational, personal process wherein we get our, our true identity. And God uses everything. He uses moms and dads, brothers and sisters, family members, friends, teachers. School is a big way that we are shaped in our identity. Sports is a great way for us to be shaped in identity. Hard work, serving others. All kinds of life experiences are, are available to us, and God uses all of them to shape who we are, to make our core identity clear that we are a beloved child of God. And in that process of learning how to come into our right mind and our right heart, we are being disciples, and therefore we're being discipled. We're in a process of, of development. So don't be uh, self-conscious about describing yourself as a disciple. Uh, it's not a pretentious claim to fame. Don't be self-conscious about it, just be committed to it. You don't even have to talk about it much, but if it's clear in your mind that I am a disciple of Jesus, it's going to open up so many doors for you. It's going to protect you from making so many bad decisions. Why? Because at the point of making a bad decision, you're going to say, is this what I want to do? Is this who I want to be as a disciple of Jesus? So being a you, uh, living your life in Christ on purpose, is what it means to be a disciple. Now, I've said all that because... Uh, we're not going to understand anything else about this message unless we get that clear in our mind. So in Christ, God integrates us into his kingdom and his kingdom into us. You're no longer an outsider looking in. He welcomes us into his kingdom and he brings his kingdom into us. It's a perfect integration. What a psychologist would call perfectly congruent. Our inner world and our outer world come together in a phenomenal way. And so being a disciple means paying attention and participating in this. You have full access to this. Just being you showing up in Jesus' name gives you full access. That's what we mean when we say live by faith. That's what we mean by saying accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe in him. Put your hope and trust in him. These are all different ways of saying you are welcome in his name. There's no reason why you cannot come into his name. And he's going to show you the work he wants to do in you. Changing things that need to be changed adding things that, needed to be, that need to be added, confirming what needs to be confirmed, and helping uh, you let go of things that are getting in the way of you being who you really are in God. And so I ask you the question this way. Are you his student or not? Are you willing to be a lifelong learner with Christ? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your teacher? If you can say, well, yes, I just don't know that much. Ah, uh, that's, that's the direction you need to be in. I'm moving toward him. Uh, you might be a new believer or a long-time believer. Uh, thinking of, think of it as reading a book. You might be on chapter 1 and somebody next to you is in chapter 20. You're both in the same book. And, and, and whether you're the new reader or the experienced reader, whether you know the story really well or you're just learning the story, you're all part of that same incredibly beautiful process that God calls us into. So here's a simple test to see where you are as a disciple, just to maybe clarify your thinking. Do you want to grow in your faith? If so, you're a disciple. You have a plan. Hmm. It's possible to have a plan. In fact, it's a really good idea to have a plan. Well, what would your plan look like? Reading the Bible, talking to people who are walking with Jesus as well. What Mike was talking about is we come into this community, it's transformational. 
Well, do you want to grow in your faith? Do you have a plan? Do you have support and accountability? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. People who say, hey, I know you can do this. And then people who, maybe the same person saying, and when will you do this? Support and accountability. We need that desperately. Uh, do you see growth in applying your faith? As you walk with God, if you've been doing that for a while, are you seeing some changes? That should encourage you that this discipleship process is working. And then here's a kind of a fun way of looking at it. Do you live your faith in a way that if you were convicted, uh, uh, if you were accused of being a disciple, would you be convicted? If somebody said, I think that person's a disciple of Jesus. How do you know? Here's the evidence. Would somebody be able to make the case? Uh, would they be able to pull up enough evidence to say, you know what, I've been watching you. I think you must be a disciple of Jesus. All right, so with having said that, why is being a disciple of Jesus such a big deal when it comes to the topic of our day, which is this, perseverance. Perseverance is what we're talking about today. And unless it's clear to you that you're a disciple, that you are in God's kingdom, you are on God's team, you're part of God's family, you are a beloved child, a son and daughter uh, of the living God, it's going to be a lot harder for you to embrace perseverance, this idea of going further than you ever thought you could go, doing more than you ever thought you could do, having staying power versus just straying power, easy to quit, hard to continue. Why is being a disciple of Jesus so essential to perseverance? Because life is difficult and life is complex. Very quickly, uh, at a very early age, we understand that, wow, life is challenging. Life is complicated. Sometimes it's super confusing and discouraging. And here's the beautiful news. The gospel is God's response. It's good news that God came into the world in Jesus Christ, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the fact that he gave us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his word. This good news, this gospel, is God's response to the fact that life is difficult and life is complex. So we understand setbacks and struggles and even suffering as inevitable. Why? Why would those things be inevitable? Why would we expect life to be complex and difficult? Well, here's why. The world is under a self-inflicted curse. A self-inflicted curse of sin and disease and death. Humankind collectively has brought on themselves this incredible situation where we're separated from God in our, in our disobedience, in our indifference, in our rebellion, in our lack of faith and trust. We've said, I don't need what you offer. I think I can do it better on my own. And that has put us into this horrible situation, a beautiful planet created by God, good for us to enjoy, has been horribly distorted and disrupted. And so it's inevitable then that life would be complex and difficult. It's inevitable that we would see signs of that curse in sin and disease and death. But God's gospel is his personal response to reversing that. In his mercy, the Lord uses everything we experience in life to write a better story in us. To write us into a better story with a better outcome. As bad as the story is that we see in that third chapter of the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, the rest of the story of the Bible is saying this is what God is doing to uh, address that, to confront that, to transform that. And so this is how then, and uh, we read in, in uh, the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, James, a little book in the back, back toward the, the end of the New Testament. James is uh, one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, and he's talking about this very thing, that we're part of God's mission in the world. We're his disciples. 
And we've got to persevere in spite of the fact that life is very difficult and life is very complex. Why? Because Christ is with us and for us. And so he says this in James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, not because it's joyful to face trials of many kinds, but he says there's a joy behind this. Here's what it is. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It increases our determination. What is determination? It's a decision to go in a direction. What's perseverance? It's having made that decision, we continue in that direction. And so when we suffer trials, it reminds us, ah, that's right, I made a decision to go in this direction. That's my hope. That's the way out of this mess. That's the way through the complexity and difficulty. And therefore, I have joy, because I know where I'm going, and I know to whom I belong. So he says, uh, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, so let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. One of the great things is to see a high-end athlete, an incredible craftsman or artist, a person who can use their voice, their imagination, uh, their hands in ways that are transformational. They can make things. They can do things. They can make life better for people. They see a need, and they can figure out a way to meet that need. They see a problem, and they know how to solve that problem. That's what perseverance accomplishes, and it shows a person who's mature and complete in their development. That's where God wants to take us. That is where he's taking us in this life, so that we would lack nothing, because he has everything we need. Remember, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And so perseverance is our God-given capacity to face, to embrace, and even to overcome life's challenges. We don't have to feel like perpetual victims. Oh, everything happens to me. Nothing good happens to me. I'm stuck. Everybody's against me. There's no hope, no way out. That's very small thinking. Why? Because when you have a very small God, your problems are very big. But when you have a very big God, your problems become a lot more manageable. Even if they don't seem smaller, they become more manageable. Why? Because he's in it with you. He's in it with you. And so it's, it's our God-given capacity. He's giving us what we need to face those challenges that otherwise, on our own, would overwhelm us, make us cynical, bitter, angry, hurt, constantly nervous, distrusting, insecure, so that we'd have to then fall back into that posing, pretending way of living. Oh, everything is fine. It's not. So perseverance is the pathway to discovering your true story in Christ. As, you, as his disciple, you're starting to understand, oh my gosh, I'm part of a bigger story. And he's writing that bigger story into my story and me into that story. And all of a sudden I see an outcome that is so much better than I ever thought, but I always hoped for. Perseverance is the pathway to discovering your true story in Christ, your true identity, that you belong to him. And nothing and no one can separate you from him. That gives you incredible confidence. Because no matter how big the problem, even if it's a life-threatening problem, you say, you know what, this is overwhelming. But with God, all things are possible. And I will prevail in this life or beyond it. And so in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the world, God is reversing the curse of sin, disease, and death. Even though we still experience it, we see it, he's reversing it. He's blessing us with goodness in the face of sin. He's healing us with love in the face of disease. He's giving the, the assurance of being filled with life in the face of, of, of death. He's saying there's a better, better story that's bigger than the one that you're living in. So how's that going for you? 
What are you experiencing that would give you signs of that kind of hope? This is why paying attention to the Bible is so important. This is why being in a community of people who can talk about what they're learning and what they're experiencing, the problems they're facing, the resources they're discovering, this gives us an incredible uh, way of managing and overcoming difficult things and increases our perseverance. So don't give up. Keep going with God. Keep allowing God to bring people into your life and insights from his word into your life that give you staying power, that give you capacity uh, to be resourceful and resilient, to be determined and persevering. It isn't easy, but it's always worth the effort you put into it. Nothing is wasted. Think of it that way. Nothing is wasted. You might feel like, oh my gosh, this year is wasted. I, what, what happened to my junior year in high school? What happened to my, my graduation from college? What happened to, and you might feel like, oh, this is just so bad. It's, it's a waste. No, it's not a waste. It's a disruption, but God's always present in disruptions. It's not the way you planned it or, or hoped for it or anticipated it, true. But God will not let this go to waste. You will find going forward that God will even use these circumstances. COVID-19 is a horrible disruption of our life. And you might say, this is a waste of time. This is all lost time. No, because all time is redeemed by Christ. That's why if your identity is in him, you say, Lord, this is horrible. I don't like this. It's hard to keep going. I'm, I'm demotivated. But in the midst of that, he will not waste this experience. He will use it for good in us. And this is why we need to pay attention to him. This is why perseverance is saying, I'm not just going through life blindly. I'm going through eyes wide open saying, Lord, what are you doing here? What do I need to pay attention to? What do I need to see? I think we're going to look back on this time and say so many good things came out of it. Some bad, bad things happened in the midst of it. But out of it came some incredibly good things that, that will cause us uh, to be more open to God, perhaps, more trusting in Him, more resilient, more resourceful, maybe not so fixated and attached to things that otherwise keep us away from Him. When your life is disrupted, it makes you start to think about what is my life really all about? Again, it asks that, asks that core key question, who am I? So let me just say this about suffering trials. Uh, suffering trials is probably the biggest conundrum of our faith. Why does God allow this? Why can't we just get on with it and have it all be better? Uh, this is a question that, that brand new believers ask and very mature believers ask. Why? Why can't we just get to the end of the, of the story and have the better story? Why all this? And I wish I could answer that for you. Uh, I can't, and nobody can. Other than to say, God knows what he's doing, and God is loving, and God is just, and God is always bringing things together for the best outcome. His timing is not ours. Uh, but here's, so, here's uh, how James, later in this letter, we just read from chapter 1, the first verses. Now in chapter 5 of that letter, later in the letter, he says this. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They're an example to us. As you know, we consider blessed those who persevered. What were the prophets persevering in? They had so much pushback because they were bringing a message from God. Sometimes it was a message of encouragement. Sometimes it was a message of, of correction. And they paid a high price for that. People didn't believe them. People insulted them. People rejected them. They felt socially ostracized. In some cases, they were, they were physically abused and even killed. But James says, you know what? Because of their perseverance, we experience an amazing blessing. And, and if, if those prophets could stand in front of us and say, and, and, and in response to the question, you know, was, was it worth it? They would say to us, of course it was. 
I was serving the living God. I was living according to his purposes because I have a part in his mission. And did it bless you? Are you in a better place because of it? We'd say, well, yeah. Then, then I, I'm glad I got to do this. This is what James is getting at. It's a bigger view of you, a bigger view of life. He goes on to say, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Job, a righteous man who went through some very difficult things. And his friends came up to him and tried to encourage him, but they ended up uh, really uh, condemning him. They were saying, you know, what did you do wrong that God allowed you to go through this? And of course, Job starts to believe that and think, gosh, what did I do? Or what, what's wrong with God? And by the end of the story, Job understands what God was doing. And he says, I'm good with what God has done. Powerful, powerful, powerful example. And so God's compassion and mercy is how we persevere. It's not that God just says, hey, well, hang in there, hope it works out for you. He's with us every step of the way. And this is the encouragement that we have. Uh, we see this in uh, a letter in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians uh, in the first chapter, first couple of verses. The Apostle Paul, the Rabbi Saul, now become Paul, the international apostle uh, for the gospel of Jesus. Uh, he writes this to some people who are going through very, very similar circumstances that we're going through. Very, very difficult times. Their version of COVID. And he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from the Lord. We get to comfort others with the very same kind of comfort we've received from the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is compassionate. Uh, God gets a bad rap. When things are bad, we say, God isn't doing his job. I'm not happy. God's job is to make me happy. I'm not happy, therefore he's not doing his job. And we share that with other people. We say it to husbands and wives. We say it to kids. We say it to employers and employees. If I'm not happy, somebody isn't doing their job. God can't be loving and just if he allows us to go through stuff that requires perseverance. And as we've seen earlier in what James said, this perseverance is developing you into maturity and completeness. And in the midst of that process, in this complex and difficult world, God is compassionate and he's comforting you if you just pay attention. Can you relate to this at all? That God isn't absent, but that he's with us in our troubles. Hard to believe sometimes. When, I, when I'm in physical pain, I, I, it's hard for you to believe God is comforting me and has a heart of compassion toward me. As I see the kinds of things that people are going through around me and around the world, I think, why, how? And yet, because my core identity is, is in him, uh, I will trust him and I will believe, yeah, God is somehow present in this and I get to be God's hands and feet to deliver that compassion and to deliver that comfort. I can't change the situation most of the time, but I can be present in the name of Jesus. I hope you're doing that in your family, being present to one another in a way that allows the compassion of God to, to come through you and to you and to come through you to others. That you could comfort them, maybe not even words, because after a while you run out of words. Simply being present is an incredible source of comfort. I hope you can relate to this because the Lord comforts us so that we can comfort others. Compassion, comfort, encouragement are the fuel for perseverance. I can keep going when I know somebody is with me or that they're counting on me or that they're calling out to me. Keep going, keep going. If you've been in a hard race and you wanted to fall down and quit, throw up, faint, whatever, and people say, no, keep going, keep going. When you said, I, I'm going to quit school and, and the professor pulled you aside and said, hey, don't do that. 
this is really hard, but you know what? You're going to do fine, and I'm going to make sure you do fine. I wish I had the time to tell you perseverance stories, story after story after story, in my own life and in the lives of others. But you have your own perseverance stories. And so reflect on some of those. Who has helped you to persevere? Hasn't it been because they've seen some potential in you and they've seen some possibilities in the situation that allowed them to lean in and say, you know what, this is really bad. And in the short term, it might not end well, but there's something good on the way. God is shaping up something really good in the midst of this. And that's not just happy talk or wishful thinking. That's claiming the, the eternal promises of God. So perseverance isn't foolishness. It's persistent faithfulness in God, believing in him. And sometimes that's just a pure decision. The feelings don't, don't, don't feel. That's what determination is. It's a decision to commit. It's a decision to continue. Perseverance is that larger picture of I'm persevering because of something bigger at stake here. And it's a decision. And oftentimes the feelings will come and the feelings will go. Just when we think we've got it all together and we're feeling good, something will... Uh, challenge those feelings. Feelings are powerful and important. They're essential to who we are as people. But do not make your decisions based on feelings. Make your decisions based on what's best and right and good and true. And allow your feelings to catch up with your decisions. So it's not foolishness to persevere. It's persistent faithfulness in God's promises. It's faithfully persisting in the face of opposition, or resistance, failure, fatigue, bad luck, betrayal, poor timing, market forces, circumstances, ill health. Persevering as Jesus' disciple is part, is our part in the mission of God. So that question we started with, what's your part in the mission of God? It's persevering in Him. Because He's preserving you as you persevere. Your part in the mission of God is to persevere. And not just to, again, blindly, unconsciously walking through life, but walking through life with eyes wide open, saying, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What is there here for me to understand? What is there here for me to contribute to? What do you want me to know and see? What, what, what seeds are you planting in me that will come to fruition long after this situation? That this situation was a catalyst for? See, that's why it's powerful to persevere. And so it's not a postponed life, but a promised life. Oh, yeah, someday life will be better. It will, but that's not the point. Life is better now because we're, pervers- we're persevering now in Christ. Here's what I mean. It's not just believing life will be better. It's better now. That's why we know it will be better then. So it's embracing this life as a promised first step toward joy to come. Count it all joy because I see that this is a, a baby step in the midst of a very bad situation towards something so great it'll create incredible joy. The writer of Hebrews uh, toward the end of the New Testament said, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross and accepted the shame. Now, there was no joy in that. But what he saw beyond that was the joy of our salvation, of death vanquished, sin destroyed, a new heaven and a new earth. You see, what he did was a sign that God was up to something good, and someday we'll experience it in full. Uh, I love the way that, that Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13, said it this way. For, we, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. We see kind of dimly what's going on. Then we shall see face to face. For I know in part, then 
then I will know fully. Now I know part of the story, but then I'll know the full story. I'll get the full impact, even as I am fully known. God knows us fully all along the way, but we don't really quite understand everything that he's up to right now. And so we trust him. And what I know is enough to keep me persevering. And when I know it fully, I'll be so glad I had persevered. For now these three remain, Paul says, faith, hope, and love. This is what is our legacy in the midst of this life. As we persevere in Christ, we have faith, we have hope, we have love. Christ is with us. The gates of hell cannot prevail against his kingdom. The biggest, baddest adversaries, those people who would want to hurt us and, and destroy us and harass us, have no power ultimately over us. The gates of hell, Satan himself cannot, cannot, will not prevail against God's kingdom. And so we are the present signs, signs of what's to come, which is life in all its fullness and life in all its promise. We're the first installment on that. So here's a practical plan for perseverance uh, out of Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. Here's a practical plan for how to do perseverance every day. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. And you might say, well, I'm already out. I, I'm not rich in this present world. Uh, yeah. If you have a place to sleep, if you haven't missed a meal in the last few days, if you have running water, if you have um, clothing, if you are not worried about people coming in and burning down your house and, and killing everybody in it. You know, if you're living in a way that you have uh, the, the, what you need to get through a day and there's something that you can even help other people with, you are wealthy in this world. And yes, of course, there's outrageous wealth and, and rich, but rich is a very uh, big category. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Look at what I've done. Look at how, how important I am. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which can go away. If you've been watching the stock market, if you've been watching <laughs> the economy, a lot of wealth has gone away for a lot of people. Don't put your faith there. But put your hope in God. Why? Because he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy this life with all of its complexities and difficulties. This is our plan for perseverance. I'm going to put my hope in him because he richly provides what I need. And so Paul says, command them then as part of their Perseverance plan to do good. What's the antidote for feeling bad? Do good. Again, don't let your feelings dictate what you do. When I feel bad, I want to withdraw and just sulk. I want to have a big pity party and invite just me. Rather, when I do good, when I get out of that sense of despair, discouragement, disappointment, all of a sudden my feelings start to realign properly. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You only increase the pain and the suffering and the death, death by a thousand cuts, when you stop being generous and you stop being willing to share. Yes, you need time for you, you need time to restore, you need time for rest, for refreshment, but your main part in God's mission is to persevere as a disciple doing what? Good deeds. Acting generously, being willing to share. And so Paul says, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't let anybody put fake life in your hands. Don't let anybody take the life that is truly life, Christ, out of your hands. Don't let anybody talk you out of your birthright. God has given you everything you need to thrive in this life. In the face of sin and suffering, 
disease, decay, and death. Don't let anybody rob you of what is yours in Christ. That's what it means to persevere. That's what it means to be determined. Let that sink in. You have so much power within you because Christ is in you. You have so much to give other people because Christ is giving you so much. So I want to leave you with this thought. Change your attitude. Change your attitude. Stop seeing your life as I have to and start seeing your life as I get to. You don't have to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. You don't have to believe in Christ. You get to believe in Christ. You don't have to do good deeds. You get to do good deeds. You don't have to forgive people. You get to forgive them. You get to serve them. You get to love them when they're unlovable. You get to accept them when they're unacceptable. You get to live a life whose primary identity is that you belong as a beloved child of God to the one under whom all authority in heaven and on earth derives. How does that make you feel? (laughs) It changes your attitude in a hurry when you accept that and see it for what it is. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, why did I not see that? Why did I not accept that? Why did I waste my life? Change your attitude from I have to to I get to. And I leave you with this verse. It's not in the slides, but I want you to memorize this verse this week. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 1, 5, 5, 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Take hold of the life that is truly life. Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my brothers and sisters. That's my prayer for this community of Christ followers called La Jolla Community Church. This is my prayer for all Christ followers, all churches in San Diego, in California, in this country, and around the world. Lord, may this be a renewal, a revival of our identity in you. It gives us the capacity to persevere in you, both now and forevermore. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, I want to give you a blessing, and then you're going to see some slides. Uh, they give you some information and encouragement, and then you're going to hear a beautiful, beautiful worship song from Dedean and their band. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
the sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you Through it all, through it all It is well
my eyes are on you and it is well with me